Book 3, Chapter 6 of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Sandeep PVDS. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Chapter 6. The Bells had not seen their daughter and grandson for some months, and the appearance of both was a shock to them. They said not a word to each other at first, but neither of them could help looking at Edith furtively from time to time. on the evening of her arrival when the bishop came up to the drawing room after dinner and settled himself in his accustomed easy chair edith had crept to his side and slipping her hand through his arm sat leaning her head against his shoulder and staring straight before her neither speaking nor listening except when directly addressed her father between whom and herself there had always been a great deal of sympathy was inexpressibly touched by the silent appeal to his love and letting the paper lie on his lap he sat silent also and serious feeling without in any way knowing that all was not well mrs bell was also depressed although she assured herself again and again that such deep devotion between father and daughter was an elevating and beautiful sight which it was a privilege to witness and tried to persuade herself that they were all extremely happy in a tranquil joy of this peaceful evening spent alone together with the world shut out the child is not right the bishop said when edith had gone to bed have you noticed her face i don't like the look of it at all not at all isn't that rather unkind dear mrs bell replied i always recovered in time you never were as ill as the poor child evidently is he answered and retired to his library much disturbed but mrs bell determined not to worry herself and managed to dismiss the subject from her mind until the next day when she was sitting alone with her daughter in the morning room upstairs they were both working but the conversation flagged and mrs bell from wondering why edith was so uncommunicative found herself involuntarily repeating the bishop's observation that child is not right and the question what is the matter with your face dearest slipped from her unawares i don't know mother edith answered shortly she had never before in her life spoken to her mother in that tone and the latter was surprised and hurt for a moment but then pursued herself that some irritability was only natural if the child were out of health and at once made proper allowances edith had got up when she had spoken and left the room she was occupying one of the state departments of the palace then but on the way to it she had to pass the room which had been hers as a girl the door was open and she went in nothing was changed there but the moment she entered she felt that there was a direful difference in herself the sad benignant christ with tender sympathetic eyes looked down upon her from the picture on the wall but she returned the glances indifferently at first and then remembering the rapture with which she had been on to kneel at his feet she looked again the recollection of the once dear delight tantalized her now however because it did not renewit and turning from the picture impatiently she went to the window and there sank on to the seat from whence she had looked out at the moonlight and the shadows on the night of the day on which it had been arranged that she 
should winter with her mother at Malta. And here again she endeavoured to recall the glow of sensation which had thrilled her then, but only the lifeless ashes of that fire remained, and they were burnt out past all hope of rekindling them. Even the remembrance of what her feelings had been eluded her, and she could think of nothing but after experiences, experiences of her married life, and those precisely which it was not wise to recall. They were not exactly thoughts, however, that occupied her, but emotions to which, looking out on the sunlit garden with rounded eyes and pupils dilated to the uttermost, she had unconsciously lent herself for some time as on other occasions. Before she realized what she was doing, suddenly, however, she came to her senses and fled in a fret to the morning room, where she threw herself down on her knees beside her mother impetuously and buried her face in her lap. Take care, dear child, Mrs. Bale exclaimed. You will hurt yourself. Mother, mother, Edith cried. I have such terrible, terrible thoughts. I can't control them. I can't keep them away. The torment of my mind is awful. I could kill myself. Mrs. Bale turned pale. Pray, dearest, she ejaculated. I do, I do, mother. Edith filed, but they mingled with my prayers. God is a demon, isn't he? Mrs. Bale threw her arms around her daughter and almost shook her in her consternation. Edith, darling, do you know what you are saying? She demanded. Edith looked into her face in a bewildered way. No, mother, what was it? She answered. Then all outward sign of Mrs. Bale's hesitation subsided. Some shock stunned and some strengthened and steadiest. The piteous appeal in Edith's eyes, the puzzle and the pain of her face as she made an effort to recall her words and understand them had the latter effect upon her mother. I am afraid you are very weak, dear child. The poor lady bravely responded. Weakness makes people unhealthy-minded. You must see the doctor and have a tonic. The doctor again, Edith groaned. It has been nothing but the doctor and tonics ever since I have been married. What does he say in the matter exactly? Mrs. Bale asked. All his endeavour seems to be not to say what is the matter exactly, Edith replied. Mrs. Bale reflected, caressing her daughter the while, and under the soothing influence of her loving touch, Edith's countenance began to relax. When is Mosley coming? her mother said at last. Edith's face contracted again, and she rose to her feet. I don't know, mother, she answered coldly. The chime rang out at this moment and she frowned as she listened to it. I wish those bells could be stopped, she exclaimed. They deafen me. Mrs. Bale had also risen from her chair, smiling mechanically, but with pain and perplexity at her heart. I am sure it is a journey, she said. It has quite upset you. Your nerves are all jarred. You must really lie down for a little. See, dearest, here on the couch and keep quite quiet. She arranged the cushions. Come, dear, she urged. Like a good child, I'll cover you up. Edith had been accustomed to this kind of gentle compulsion all her life, and she yielded to it now. She began to feel more like herself. I knew I should be better with you, mother, she said, sighing. And then she reached up her arm and drew her mother's face down to hers. Kiss me, mother, and tell me you forgive me for being impatient. Dear child, you are not impatient, her mother answered, adding to herself as she returned to her seat. I hope it is only impatience. 
Edith had turned her face to the wall and soon appeared to be asleep. Then her mother went down to the library. The bishop rose from his writing table when she entered. It was a habit of his to be polite to his wife. I think you were right last night about Edith, she said. She is not as she should be. Write to Dr. Galbraith. Ask him to come here tomorrow. Ask him to dine and stay the night. As if it were only an ordinary visit, not to alarm her, you know. But tell him why we want him to come. I am nervous about her. Mrs. Bell's face quivered and she burst into tears as she spoke. Oh my dear, I am sure there is no need to hesitate yourself, the bishop exclaimed. Now do, now don't, really. See, I will write at once. He sat down and began, My dear George, and then looked up at his wife to see if she was not already relieved. Mrs. Bale could not speak, but she stroked his head once or twice in acknowledgement of his great kindness. Then more tears came because he was so very kind, and finally she was obliged to go to her own room to recover herself. As the day wore on, however, she became reassured. Edith seemed much refreshed by her sleep, and in the afternoon, when the three ladies came from the castle to call upon her, bringing Angelica with them, she quite rose up. What, Angelica, a grown-up young lady in a long dress? she exclaimed. Where is Diavolo? We had a slight difference of opinion this morning, Angelica answered stiffly. Dear me, that is a new thing, Mrs. Bale commented. No, it's not, Angelica contradicted. Bridling visible. Only when we were young, we used to settle our differences at once and have done with them. But now that I am in a long dresses, Diavolo won't do that. So we have to sulk like married people. But my dear child, I don't see why you should quarrel at all. Mrs. Bale remonstrated. You would if you were with us, I expect. Angelica answered. And then she turned her attention to Edith. But not by a sign did she betray the slightest consciousness of the latest disfigurement unless making herself unusually agreeable was a symptom of commiseration and in this she succeeded so thoroughly that when the others rose to go edith did not feel inclined to part with her won't you stay with me here for a few days she entreated angelica reflected it would do him good i should think she said at last I should think it would, Edith agreed, laughing. Did I speak? said Angelica. Yes, Edith answered. You informed me that you are going to stay here in order to punish Diavolo by depriving him of your society for a time. I am sure I did not say all that, Angelica exclaimed. Well, not exactly, perhaps, Edith confessed, but you led me to infer it. Well, I'll stay, Angelica decided. Aunt Fulda, I'm going to stay here for a few days with Edith. She answered, Very well, dear, her aunt meekly rejoined. Are you going to stay now? Yes, tell Elizabeth to bring me some wearing apparel. As they drove back to Moran, Lady Claudia scolded Lady Fulda for so weakly allowing Angelica to have her own way in everything. I thought you would agree with me that sweet womanly influence at the palace would do her good, Lady Fulda answered in an injured tone. Sweet womanly nonsense? said Lady Claudia. She will twist them all round her little finger and turn the whole place upside down before she leaves. Or I am much mistaken. 
Well, dear, if you could only make Angelica do what you wish while you are here to influence her, I should be thankful. Lady Fulda rejoined with gentle dignity. Lady Claudia said no more. Things went merrily at the palace for the rest of the day. Mrs. Ottenberg called Mr. Kelroy of Ilverthorpe, between whom and Angelica there were always an excellent understanding, and she entertained him now with observations and antidotes which so amused Ada that, as Mrs. Bale said to the bishop afterward, the dear naughty child quite took her out of herself. Angelica had never been in the same house with a baby before, and she was all interest. Whatever defects of character the new woman may eventually acquire, lack of maternal affection will not be one of them. Have you seen the baby? She asked Elizabeth. When the latter was brushing her hair for dinner, he had not been visible during the afternoon, but Angelica had thought of him incessantly. Yes, miss, Elizabeth answered. Is he a pretty boy? Angelica wanted to know. Elizabeth pursed up her lips with an air of reserve. You don't think so, Angelica said. She had seen the maid's face in the mirror before her. What is he like? He's exactly like the bishop, miss. Angelica broke into a broad smile at herself in the glass. What? A little? Old man baby? She exclaimed. Yes, miss, with a cold in his head, the maid said seriously. When she was dressed, Angelica went to make his acquaintance. On the way, she discovered her particular friend, the bishop, going virtually in the same direction and slipped her hand through his arm. We will go together, she said confidently, taking it for granted that his errand was the same as her own. The nurse was undressing the child when they entered, and Edith sat watching her. She was already dressed for the evening and looked worse in an elaborate toilet than she had done in her morning dress. A stranger would have found it hard to believe that only the year before she had been radiantly healthy and beautiful. The puzzled, pathetic expression again in her eyes as she watched the child, she had no smile for him and uttered no baby words to him, nor had he a smile for her. He was old, old already, and exhausted with suffering, and as his gaze wandered from one to other, it was easy to believe that he was asking each dumbly, why had he ever been born? Is that Edith's baby? Angelica exclaimed, in her astonishment and horror under her breath. Slipping her hand from the bishop's arms, she had seen enough in one momentary glance, and she fled from the room, and the bishop followed her. Mrs. Bale was there when they entered, and standing behind her daughter's chair. But she did not look at her husband, nor he at her. For the first time in their married life, poor souls, they were afraid to meet each other's eyes. End of chapter 6 Reading by Sandeep PVDS